0: Hi, welcome to Making the Hedge. My name is Josh Gibbs. We are talking about uh, dispensationalism, uh, but more specifically, we're going to be answering a very specific question, which is, can you be saved believing what Jesus taught about salvation? And uh, are the gospels themselves the same gospel that Paul preached? So it should be a good conversation. We've got Pastor Drew Eldrod with us today, and uh, let's get into it. There are only two answers, to
1: possible answers. Make sure today that you leave this place knowing that you are saved
2: to the glory of God. To what the scriptures teach, I think the Bible does teach that God desires the salvation of all men. He has provided uh, for uh,
1: the, the salvation of all men. And therefore, anyone who, who ends up under the wrath of God, it is because they have rejected his, provo- his provision for them and they are just punished for their
2: sins. question that seeks to provide an answer to this question, for whose sins did Jesus die?
1: The extent of the atonement asks the question, for whose sins did
0: Jesus die? Well, there are only two answers, two possible answers to that question. Either Jesus died for the sins of some people, or Jesus died for the sins of all people. Alright, hey, um, welcome back guys, Uh, another episode of Making the Hedge. I think this is going to be a good good conversation tonight. Um, Pastor Drew Elrod is going to be our guest, and uh, I want to give a brief introduction to him, and uh, then we'll really get into the meat of the conversation, but um, let me get you pulled up on our camera. And we should have you there. So, Pastor Drew Elrod, thank you again for coming on the show tonight.
2: Hey, Josh. Looking forward to it. Appreciate you having me.
0: So, um, yeah, you know what? I I think that uh, before we get into um, kind of the meat of the conversation and and really answering that question, um, can you be saved by believing what Jesus taught in the Gospels, um, which is really a dispensational question. Before we get into all of that stuff, um, I'd like for the audience to kind of get to know you a little bit. Um, so you and I have interacted um, on social media a few times, and this is something uh, that we, we've talked about. Um, is Paul's gospel the same as what Jesus was preaching in the gospels, um, the four gospels? Uh, and, and that's really why we kind of initiated this conversation here. So I really do appreciate you coming on. And be willing, being willing to do that. Um, honestly, this is the whole reason that I started this podcast was uh, to really put a face in, and and uh, stream the conversations live that you know typically you can't do in a tweet or in a post. Uh, you can just kind of it, you know, it's kind of like sitting down at 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 the coffee table with somebody and having a conversation. Um, but other people can actually benefit and profit from it as well. But okay, so I. <laughs> You are the pastor of Salem Baptist Church in Calhoun, Georgia. Do I have that right?
2: Yes, Salem Baptist Church, Calhoun, Georgia. We're located, uh, situated almost directly between Chattanooga, Tennessee, and Atlanta, Georgia, so Northwest Georgia area. Okay. Uh,
0: How long have you been the pastor there?
2: Been the pastor there a little over two years. Um, Before that, I was a Sunday school teacher and a preacher, not the pastor, but just another preacher at a uh, church, uh, Glade Baptist Church is where we were at before we took the pastorate at Salem.
0: Okay, cool. Um, so I, w- this is kind of a light a, more a light question. What does it look like should somebody come into Salem Baptist Church for the first time they've never been? What does church look like for you guys?
2: We would be uh, more of your traditional Baptist church um, in the way that our building looks, uh, our music uh and the fellowship, everything that goes with that, we have Sunday morning service, we have Sunday school, we have Sunday night service. Um, and, and you know we, we make a priority about preaching and teaching the Word of God. Um, you know, very, I'd probably say very similar to most uh, most independent Baptist churches and a lot of Southern Baptist churches that haven't gone, uh, unfortunately in one direction. Um so that's that's pretty
0: typical of what you'd see in our church. Okay. You know what? I honestly it's I, I'm I live in Kansas City in Missouri. Uh a lot of people think it's in Kansas. There is a Kansas City, Kansas. There's a Kansas City, Missouri. I'm on the Missouri side, but you always gotta kinda specify that. But uh you know, I it's teach, uh, you don't teach, really see yeah, you what uh, so I'm, I'm sorry. I said I teach social studies, so I know all about people getting places wrong. Oh, there you go. You understand then. So uh you know but I I guess you don't you don't really see a whole lot of churches anymore that do a Sunday night service uh or even a Wednesday night service. Do you think that that's something that uh the local church is missing out on?
2: Absolutely. I tell our people all the time you'll grow much more on Wednesday night and Sunday night than you ever will on Sunday morning. Um Sunday morning I know I have, you know, a a, a window there and and usually Hopefully we have more visitors and things of that sort, but Wednesday night and Sunday we can really slow down and uh, dig a little bit deeper into passages and books of the Bible and and do kind of what we're doing now. We can ask uh, each other questions more in Q&A time as well. So uh, I definitely
0: uh, would encourage churches to keep Wednesday and Sunday night. Yeah. Um, So you guys, are you IFB or are you Southern Baptist? As of
2: right now, we are currently in the Southern Baptist Convention.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, but like many in the Southern Baptist Convention, we are very concerned yeah. and um, are, are monitoring things very closely and having some conversations. Yeah. Um, my background has has been in independent Baptist churches um, as far as where we were at before, uh, but uh, the Salem, yes, we are in the Southern Baptist
0: Convention. I see. So I won't try to dig into that too much, um, but I grew, I spent about, I didn't grow up in an independent fundamental Baptist church, but when I got into college, my senior year of college, I started going to an independent fundamental Baptist church. And uh, I spent about seven or eight years there. And uh, we served, was really, real involved there with the homeless ministry and a a lot of different things like that, a lot of different opportunities. Um, But one one of the questions that I would ask you is, when I was when I was looking at your website and you kind of just touched on it a little bit here, I didn't know if you guys were IFB or Southern Baptist. But one thing that I did notice on the website um, was that you had put it on there. As far as the information goes, um, two things that I'd noticed that you don't you don't you don't do altar calls or raising your hand uh, for salvation or writing your name down on a ticket. Or uh, coming forward, or anything like that. But you also said um, that you're you're definitely you don't t- you take a stand against um, a lot of the well, not just a lot, but um, all Calvinist doctrine and, and tulip doctrines as well. So I would imagine that is probably playing a role within what your decision is within the Southern Baptist Convention, being that it is moving towards Calvinism, especially with uh, a Calvinist as the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, but. Um, without getting into too much detail there um, I, the reason I brought that up is because a lot of churches today on their website when you look at the information side would put you know what the statement of faith or their core beliefs those kind of things are um, but do you do you think that that's uh, something that really stands out for you guys as a church that um, I guess why is why is that that important to you I guess if I could phrase it that way Right. Well,
2: I believe what you're referencing is our statement on salvation. We do have altar calls and we do uh, very evangelistic on Sunday morning. The point I wanted to make in that was salvation is not in you coming forward. Right, right, right. Uh, we don't add anything to the gospel. It's not in raising hands, it's not yep. in walking aisles, it's not in any of those things. Now, you may raise your hand when you trust Christ, you may walk an aisle and, and trust Christ at the altar. But unfortunately, what I believe uh, many do is that they add to the simplicity and how that you are saved. And it's not in any of those things. So that's what uh, that is in reference to. But uh, as a church, absolutely, I am uh, wholeheartedly against Calvinism in uh, the Reformed doctrine. And it is disheartening when you uh, see—I was actually in Dallas last year at the Southern Baptist Convention— uh when jd greer was elected and uh so our church does not hold to uh, any of those doctrines so that's where we're in a conflict of knowing where the seminaries are at right now uh positions of power within the southern baptist convention and it's almost where do we go now and so um so we're, we're having those conversations and we're working through it as a leadership and and uh being very transparent with our uh with our church and uh, putting that information before our members, and so uh, you know, we'll we'll continue to have those conversations. Yeah. Uh, not only Calvinism, but if you've been following it, which I'm sure you have, some other issues that's going on right now in the Southern Baptist Convention, which are a great concern. But um, you know, that, that's for another convers. That's for another podcast,
0: maybe that we can uh, we can dive into some of those things. Yeah, that sounds good. I won't hit that anymore, but I do. Before we get into really the gospel itself, the gospels. Um, is the gospel within the gospels that we're talking about? Are we on the same page? When, before we get into that, I think that we can find some common ground uh, when we're talking about the Bible itself. And uh, what I'd like to do is start by just um, playing a couple of clips and then discuss it. It, it shouldn't take too long, but it'll transition into um, really setting the foundation for the Bible being our standard, our authority, and a lot of people are afraid to use the term inerrant today. Um, I don't have any problem saying the Bible is inerrant. Um, it, you know, and I don't think that I don't think that you should be afraid as a Christian to say, "Hey, I believe the Bible is inerrant." Um, but I think that we can we can use that and transition into that. That's the foundation to what we're going to look at next, which is the gospel itself, and specifically answering the question: Can you be saved simply by believing the words of Jesus Christ? Um, in the gospels so this is uh the first quote that i'm going to play it's from nt wright he is a uh, new testament scholar um he was the bit um bishop at i want to say um durris i don't, he's in scotland he's retired now but um he's basically pretty involved in doing his own podcast this particular podcast is called ask nt wright anything uh, Justin Briarley, if you're familiar with Justin Briarley, he's pretty. Um, he's got a pretty popular podcast as well. It's called Unbelievable, and uh, he he kind of just does a lot of interaction with a lot of different folks um, on a lot of different subjects about the Bible. And uh, those two kind of teamed up, and they're doing this particular podcast. It's relatively new, but uh, this podcast here, I'm going to play it for you all, so you can you can listen. Um, but it it's. I, th- I think it's the fifth episode let me get it here it's called yeah it's number actually number seven it's called Bible infallibility Sola scriptura and salvation and uh, in particular um, it's exactly what I was just referencing here about uh, the truth do we actually possess it or does the truth actually progress so I I'll just play the clip. And then we'll we'll go from there.
1: ...movements and deist movements were trying to say, no, 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 we, we will work out what's true by the light of reason. And if the Bible happens to fit with that, so be it. And if it doesn't, we will jettison, Thomas Jefferson famously, mm. you know, got rid of chunks of the, of the Bible. Um, and so people said, no, 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 we've got to hang on to the Bible. And,
0: then, and, and I think I, that was it at 640. I minute to be at 540. Yes. so What's it doing
1: in me and through me and what's it as soon as you turn around and say, um, shall we call it inerrant or infallible or in this or in that, I don't like these words beginning with the letters I-N, um, then it seems to me you're getting trapped in a defensive mode, which is precisely what the Bible doesn't want you to do. Now, I know why that happens. It seems to me it happened because at the time of the Reformation, the question was scripture or tradition and the reformers said God's word, God's word, God's word and so the sense of the Bible itself confronts the uh, many Christian traditions and says no there's something more to learn here and then in the uh, 17th and 18th century particularly various rationalist movements and deist movements were trying to say no 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 we, we will work out what's true by the light of reason and if the Bible happens to fit with that so be it and if it doesn't we will jettison and Thomas Jefferson famously you know, got rid of chunks of the Bible Um, and so people said no 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 we've got to hang on to the Bible and then because that happened within a rationalist turn within enlightenment philosophy people wanted to say we are going to see this as a rationalist thing if there is a good God who wants his people to know the truth he must have given us a true revelation so therefore since the Bible is obviously that revelation it must be absolutely true
0: okay so you kind of get the gist there but I guess when we're, when we're trying to set the, the foundation on what we're talking about, how important is it to actually have uh, what we would call the Word of God? Do you think that you could call it the Word of God if it's not infallible, if it's just authoritative, if it's just um, something that progressively became what it is today as opposed to actually possessing and holding what you could call the Bible? Drew, how important is that to you? I think that's the bedrock of our faith, is the
2: Word of God. Um, and I would hate to think uh, that we don't have God's perfect Word. And I think many times, Josh, uh, just like the podcast, and I, I listened to a little bit of that today, uh, didn't get to listen to all of it, but throughout all this, and you could talk about manuscripts, you can talk about uh, you know these various issues and uh, textual criticism, but I believe we missed the, the point. God in his word gave us the assurance that he in fact would preserve it for us. We know that he's inspired it. And um, I had a quote uh, written down by Dr. Sam Gipp. He, he said it this way and I thought this was pretty good. He said, inspiration without preservation is a divine waste of time. And so I believe wholeheartedly uh, that we do have the perfect, inerrant, infallible Word of God. Um, that we possess it, and so with that, with that authority, uh, we don't have to lean to reason. I thought about the verses in First Corinthians chapter one as I was listening to these two give some exchanges where it talked about uh, that. Uh, for after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe, so the world is seeking uh, to find God through various means of wisdom and and even I believe what we talk about textual criticism and other things like that, and they 're missing the point is that you 're not going to find God through the wisdom of this world you 're not going to find God through your own reasoning you 're going to find him in his word he 's revealed himself. Uh, through words and language, and he's given us a perfect book uh, to be able to do that. Now, we could talk about you know how he has brought that word uh, into existence and various uh, means and how he's revealed himself in time past, uh, but the great thing about you and I, Josh, is we have the complete revelation of God right here in a book, and so we have something greater uh, than many of the saints of time past, uh, we can just go directly to the God's revelation here and uh, read what thus saith the Lord.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think that obviously you and I would have some distinctions that we would make when it comes to preservation. Um, And I think specifically it would come to where was the text preserved prior to um, the, the 1611 King James Version. Um, I know Sam Gipp, um, what was it in was it two thousand seven on the John Ankerberg show um, had said that we just didn't have it in a perfect preserved form that it was it was forming and formulating into what it would be with the King James until it was perfected in the King James. Do you hold that same position?
2: Probably in a loose um it didn't have it in a complete form as it, as like we have it today it was sixty six books in in which we have it and I believe gipps' argument and again i'm um if I misquote him misrepresent him, it's not on purpose, but I believe Samuel he was talking way. about how that um God's basically used one language to bring in his truth he he used Hebrew uh, primarily, obviously, there in the Old Testament, you use Greek in the New Testament, and so English is the language that he is using today, and uh, makes a valid argument as you look around the world, as you look at other places around the world. My brother's in India. He's a he's a missionary in India, and uh, they're learning English, and, uh, you know, English is the uh, language of business, and, and the way the world's uh, economies are uh, tied together, of education and and um, you could probably hardly go anywhere in a modern country today, and you could probably just speak English and get by, and that would be true of other people that that's traveled around the world. So um, I believe that's the the approach he takes, and and I, I would probably agree with that to some extent um, as you look at history and as what God was doing, and I mean, as you look at uh, what happened there in the Dark Ages as uh, corruption and through Roman Catholicism, and so being able to purify something and bring it all the way through into the English language uh, to what we have today, um, you know, I I definitely see what he's talking
0: about. Um, And just for clarification, I think that the audience um, who has watched this podcast before would know what my position is. Um, I do believe that the King James is a perfect Bible. Um, I believe that it's inerrant um, in so much as the text that it comes from is. Um, and, and I believe that there is a difference between a textus receptus or the majority text versus, um, versus the critical text. I think that there's a, there's a lot to be said about the differences that are there. Um, one of the questions that I typically would ask somebody who has either never heard that argument before um, or ever been presented with the, the fact that there are differences in different Bible versions and they're based off of the text that those Bible versions would come from is to look up a set of, of verses within those Bibles and see like, Hey, is this in there? Is it not in there? You know, acts 8:37 would be a good example of that. And mm-hmm. uh, if someone's never heard that argument before, and if you're listening to this, you've never heard that argument before, I would recommend to you to turn to acts 8:37, look it up and see if it's in your Bible. If it's not in your Bible, um, you might ask that question. Why is it not in there? And uh, really that's what me and Pastor Elrod are answering right now is uh, in a roundabout way. It's not in there because um, there is a preserved text throughout history that God has used. It's been in the hands of the common people um, all down throughout the history of the church. And uh, there's another text that has not been used. It's been buried in the sands. It's been locked away in a, uh, a monastery. Um, and it just was never used. In fact, um, when the King James was being formulated, and <laughs> this is kind of a rabbit trail here, but Erasmus actually had access to Vaticanus, and he called it an inferior text and rejected it. So it, it's not like it wasn't known. People knew about that text. Um, people knew the differences between um, which manuscripts were corrupt, which ones would be inferior, and which ones got actually used. So that would be my position. I believe that it's a it's it's a textual issue rather than a versional issue, um, and I personally don't believe that you need to learn English to have the Bible today. I think that I, I think that the Bible can be translated into and has been translated into thousands of languages from that text, from the same text. Um, so that's my position. For those of you who may not have heard it before, that's 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 what it is for me. But. Um, I would I'd like to go to one more clip here as we're talking about the the actual text of the Bible, and uh, this is this is really establishing the fact um, on whether or not it is actually a problem to have errors in the text. So, if you've if again if you've never heard this argument before, um, it's not just one of those deals where it's like, well, this text didn't have it in there because it's oldest and best. It's actually an argument of of saying, well, there's actually a, whole passages of text that they don't think should be in the Bible at all. Um, like Luke 7:53 through 8:11, which would be the pericope adulterer, the woman caught in adultery. Um, or 1 John 5, 7 and 8, which is the the two greatest uh, verses in all of the Bible that really lays out explicitly the doctrine of the Trinity. Um, and, and then you've got the ending of Mark, Mark 16, the last 16 verses. Um, those are extremely important texts, and, and specifically in that text, um, you've got the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you've got the Great Commission. Um, there's, a lo- there's a lot of things that are going on there that, one, if you don't have the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the gospel, you, don't have, you have a partial gospel, which would make it another gospel. So that's why those things would be important. That's why it's important to me. Um, I would imagine that's why it's important to Pastor El- Elrod. Um, but let's listen to this clip right here. Um, What before I do, did you have anything you wanted to add to that?
2: Just quickly, exactly what you're talking about with entire verses uh, missing from many of the translation. I I had a young lady in our church just about two or three weeks ago. I preached a message, and I had them turn to um, a portion in Matthew 23 and uh, read the passage after the service. She came up to me and handed me her Bible, and she says, I want you to read that starting in, and I can't remember, I want to say it was about verse 12. Um, and so I was reading, and hers either, I believe it went from Matthew 23, 13 to Matthew 23, 15. And verse 14 was missing, and I looked up at her, and I said, What Bible is this? Which I knew what it was. I knew yeah. it wasn't the King James, so I flipped to the front, and it was a ESV, if I'm not mistaken. And she was shocked. She looked at me, I mean, like a deer in the headlights, and she said, where's the verse? I said, it's not in there. Yeah. And so I did what you just uh, mentioned. We we went to Acts 8. Uh, we went to Matthew 17, verse 21, and some other places. And so I believe many people um, that are in our pews and within Christianity do not recognize it as even being a big deal until they're confronted with something to where the verse is simply not even in there. And then the passage you mentioned, John 8, uh, Mark sixteen uh, and some of those others. So uh, it's yeah. a bigger issue um, than than what people would, would think, and it is it's vital. Yeah. And uh, I think it can do some damage. And maybe the clip that you're going to play here in a moment may speak to that as well.
0: Yeah, uh, this one. So it's it's really answering the question: Is is it a problem if the text has errors in it? Um, and and obviously on this show, people write in their questions, and NT Wright takes kind of a middle of the road. Um, position that you can't call the Bible infallible, but you can call it authoritative, which means uh, there can be some issues with the text because of the issue of preservation, which would mean, um, you know, it's kind of a humanistic position on the preservation of Scripture in the sense that um, really God left it up to man to preserve the word as opposed to God being the one who is preserving his word through man. Um, so I think that that's something really uh, to you know, take a look at, uh, which is what we're going to do here and kind of try to interact with it a bit, if I can pull it up here. Think Should be, be around 9.25. That the... that that's about as close as I'm going to get, so I'll just let it play. different texts and
1: obvious examples that when the psalmist says God has smoke coming out of his nostrils, we say, well, this is poetry. This means that... God is a living God and he's active and he gets cross when bad things happen in his world etc fine but I don't think that God is a funny old gentleman with with smoke coming out of his nostrils Um, but then what about Genesis 1 and 2 what about um, so many um, passages in scripture which many people have said this is a kind of poetry this is the only way that granted that culture that you can talk wisely about creation and particularly if Genesis 1 is seen as the construction of a temple-like world, a heaven and earth world, with an image at the the heart of it, then this isn't a scientific account. This isn't sort of on a par with what somebody in a laboratory in Harvard or Cambridge or something might say about the Big Bang or what preceded the Big Bang.
0: So I'll just stop it there, but I think you kind of get the gist of what we're talking about Um, when, when we say, is it a problem that the text would actually have errors in it? So when we're talking about errors, Typically, in, in, in the academic realm, they would call them textual variants, uh, which is simply saying, you know, there's the, we've got about 5,900 manuscripts, right? Um, the, the King James uh, is supported by about 5,870 of those manuscripts. So roughly you've got between 40 and 45 manuscripts out of the vast majority of manuscripts that would support every other Bible version that's out there on the market today. And uh, I, I think that that's pretty important. But when, when we're looking at what they would call a textual variant or what we would call uh, an error in the text, which would simply say, hey, you know, this is probably not what the original author wrote. It's been changed along the line at some point by some scribe, uh, whether it was, you know, on purpose or whether it was a, just an error, an accident. They looked at it wrong and miswrote something. Um, but how do you look at that? Pastor Elrod, when it comes to errors in the Bible and uh, the preservation of God's Word, do you think that it is something that um, has any any credibility to it?
2: No, I, I don't. And if you caught what he was talking about, um, he used about the smoke coming out of God's uh, nostrils. And this is, and this will probably get into what we're going to deal with later, we should read the Bible normally yeah um uh, most people that I've read behind and again very little that i've spent a lot of my time doing that but um, they have a hermeneutical problem uh, to where how they interpret the word of God um, allegorization of scripture spiritualizing of passages and I believe when you go back all the way and we see the father of this was uh, Augustine or Augustine however you want to say it um, and how much he has truly influenced. Not only those within the realm of of Christianity, but even those without, uh, Gnostics and, and other things of that sort. So, again, I, I think there's is a it's a faith issue. At the end of the day, Josh, I'll be quite honest with you. It's a faith issue, and yeah. and so the the preservation uh, responsibility, uh, just like anything else, can't be on man. It, it, it's up to God, and so uh, I believe that, that God has kept his word that he said he'd preserve his words and they're pure and, and we have them. So starting from that baseline, it's just like a lot of things, even in, in our society here in America, we let a very small minority, uh, set the agenda. And so you talked about the manuscripts, the vast, vast majority. Um, yet you take a handful and then they try to paint that as being somehow, uh, authoritative and see here, and you know they'll they'll throw it up in your face. Well, you know that's uh, I don't believe that's a valid enough argument um, personally. But uh, and then he's talking about uh, the age of reason, or you know those within science. Um, again, going back to what we said about the wisdom of this world,
0: uh, they're starting from a,
2: a a flawed assumption, I believe.
0: So um, I. Th- you actually caught on to that pretty quick. N.T. Wright is, um, he, he's part of the Anglican Church of England. Um, and uh, so when we talk about the hermeneutic style of interpret interpreting the Bible, um, we would say that the Bible is very literal. Um, when we When we talk about the allegorical hermeneutic or interpretation of the Bible, what we're really saying is, what's the practical application you know how do you how do you apply this to your life how do you spiritualize it in a sense and uh, when you get rid of the literal interpretation you really get into a lot of problems when it comes to the doctrine of heaven hell um the doctrinal um, teaching on the millennial reign of christ uh, and it affects your eschatology the end times studies on you know is there a rapture anymore And a lot of people are moving away from that because of this allegorical style of interpretation. And uh, it it really does make good preaching in the sense of, you know, um, here's how you can have a better life, um, these kinds of, these styles of of preaching. Um, But I I think that it really does um, get away from the opportunity to really get into what the literal interpretation of the Bible would be. And and that definitely affects doctrine. But um, this last clip, I'm not going to play a whole lot because we really want to get into this and answer this question. Um, you know, can you be saved by just believing the words that Jesus spoke in the Gospels? This last clip is from an IFB guy. He wrote in, it's kind of a long question. I think it's two or three, two minutes, three minutes, somewhere in there. He grew up IFB, King James Version only, um, in the sense of a re-inspired text as opposed to preserved and then um, going down that route. But he had devoted his whole life To that he grew up in it and uh, and then he he became a pastor and he's writing into N.T. Wright and he's saying you know what I don't think that I believe in hell anymore a literal hell I don't think I believe in a rapture anymore I don't think I believe and so he's losing the literal interpretation he's saying like hey can you help me like get a grip on these things like I think I'm wrong on it and I think I've been wrong my whole life what do I do I'm not gonna play N.T. Wright's answer uh, but I would like to I would like to uh, um, just get his question there. I think, yeah, let me see if I can pull it up. Yeah, Pastor Losing His Faith, 2132. We'll go ahead and play it. Um,
3: generally, we encourage short questions. That's always <laughs> helpful for the purposes of the podcast and the time we've got together. This is a, a much longer one than I'd normally include, but I thought worth doing. Um, it it's, uh, lies out quite a bit of the story of this person. But this is anonymous in Texas, so bear with me while I read out the full story. And they say, I don't know how to ask my question in a sentence or two. Please don't toss this message in the bin because of its length. Because I ask it as someone who really needs some help. I am a pastor, and I'm afraid I'm becoming an atheist. After listening to episode three of your podcast, in which you spoke about Bart M., and Tom said that Bart came from a tradition where the Bible is either all literally true or is not true at all. That's exactly where I'm coming from, and I don't know how to think any differently about it. I grew up in a theologically conservative home and church tradition, fundamentalist baptists of the kjv only strain of fundamentalism i was a six-day creationist and believed that the universe was six thousand years old i believed that the entire globe was flooded that no only noah and his family survived there was nothing in those stories that i didn't trust i believed all of it for most of my life but sadly i no longer am able though i left the fundamentalist movement years before going to seminary i still maintained that view of scripture upon my enrollment but that view of scripture began to crumble as brick by brick. My professors took their exegetical sledgehammers to my faith. They weren't liberal professors, mind you. I went to a conservative Presbyterian seminary. But when I lost that literal interpretation of Genesis, I lost my trust for the rest of scripture as well. It's not just Genesis anymore. It's in the six years since graduating seminary, my scepticism has grown and messed mis- trying to pronounce this word, metastasized out of Genesis and into the rest of the Bible. I will skip some of the rest in in, in terms of, it it talks about some of the various issues you've got with not being able to trust, whether if, you know, if Adam and Noah weren't actual people in real history, what about people like Paul and Jesus who didn't talk about them as though they were, and he goes on to say, for a while I thought I could afford to lose the Old Testament as long as I had Jesus and his resurrection, but now I've had these unwelcome thoughts that perhaps the entire Jesus story was also made up out of whole cloth by some Jewish men who needed to make sense of their Judaism after the temple was destroyed. Did they simply mine the Old Testament for prophecies about a Messiah figure and figure out how to make him also become the new and enduring temple? I don't know. Maybe Richard Carrier is right. For those who don't know, Richard Carrier is a prominent
0: Alright, so there's a lot in there in that question. Uh, I think that this is a genuine concern that this guy's going through, and I, and I think that it's affected by Um, the style of interpretation on how you read the Bible. Uh, And it it affects the six-day creation. It affects a literal creation. It affects evolution. It affects the story of Adam and Eve. Noah and Abraham, like this guy was using examples of, were these even real people? Was the Jesus story made up? Is it just something that Uh, New Testament Jewish writers wrote back into history after the event occurred to make it look like something actually happened. And these are actually genuine Christian questions that a lot of people have questions about, including Christians, including pastors. And I think that these questions need answers. There's nothing wrong with asking questions like this, but you've got to have a firm foundation on where you really what your style of interpreting the Bible is in order to be able to answer them. Uh, so that would lead us into uh, dispensationalism, the Gospels, and the words of Jesus Christ, um, because I believe that if you don't have that foundation, if you don't have a literal interpretation of the Bible, um, not in all places, I, I think that there's definitely some some parts that are not literal when it talks about God having you know, wings of an eagle. I, I think that that's definitely a picture. There's things like that that are simile. Um, and but if you were going to answer this guy's question Pastor Elrod how would you respond to a pastor who grew up IFB KJV only and he's, he's coming across literature and authors and podcasts um, that are really challenging his faith and he doesn't know if he believes it anymore what would you say to a guy like that
2: well I definitely empathize with him um, and I'm not naive enough to think that it couldn't happen to anybody Um, that every man take heed, lest he fall. So uh, what he needs to do would be my advice uh, would get back to the scriptures. I love technology and I love what we're getting to do here, but um, I think many times people can allow podcasts, commentaries, um, different things like that to shape their theology more than the Word of God itself. And um, a lot of times it's people that, may be very sincere, someone may have that degree, they may have uh, written books, and so you're obviously thinking, well, this person knows what they're talking about. Um, I found it very interesting to hear that he went to a Presbyterian seminary. Um, So according, which I believe, if this man's going through this to their system, then he has to blame God, Yeah, because God has determined him uh, to be in this state, which uh, to me I think, again, I don't I don't know the guy's full testimony, but I think you would have to you'd have to investigate that a little bit deeper and dig into why and when he started down this trail. Um, and hopefully, you know, through time and patience and encouragement, continually giving him the word of God um, him seeing the light that, in fact, the word of God is reliable. It's true. Uh, Jesus did die for him and he can be saved And know he's saved and uh, he can continue in the ministry uh, with the full assurance that he has the Word of God and um, so it's it's a heartbreaking testimony because I believe there's many more just like that that has gone to seminaries and instead of it increasing their faith and uh, pushing them further along in the work of the Lord uh, it seems like it helps them to become a dropout um, which is unfortunate
0: um, so that's going to transition into the next part of our conversation, which would be dispensationalism, the gospels, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've mentioned it a few times, but for those of you who have probably never, who have never heard that term dispensationalism before, um, could you give a definition on what you mean when you're talking about a dispensation?
2: Yeah. um, Dispensationalism, first of all, this is another reason you need a King James Bible, is that you actually find the word dispensation in the King James four times. Most, uh, most, if not all, uh, maybe the new King James has it in there. I don't have a new King James, but um, I was actually engaging with someone the other day uh, on social media, and we got talking about dispensations, and he said the dispensation of the grace of God is not in the Bible. And so I immediately sent him the verse and he said, Well, <laughs> basically you're using that old outdated King James Bible. And so uh I said, Well, we've got other issues we'd have to unpack, brother, but nonetheless, dispensation is basically a mode of, of dealing, uh dealing out an arrangement or administration of affairs. How's God revealing himself uh to mankind? What are those instructions and um how's God dealing with man and what what is he required uh as a result of that revelation that he's given and uh, his dispensing, uh, the uh, the word where we would get economy. Uh, you think about an administration like we have now, uh, we're in the, the Republicans have the White House and they're the administration, well previously the Democrats held the White House and they were in that administration. So we're talking about a different uh, house rules, uh, so to speak. So In very simple terms, that's how
0: I would define
2: and uh, deal with dispensationalism.
0: Now, for those of you who would be a little bit more of a theology nerd and uh, you're more familiar with this term, I believe that there's four subcategories for this. You would have a progressive dispensationalist, a classic dispensationalist, a hyper, and then you would have an ultra dispensationalist. And uh, really a lot of that, when it comes to the definition of what kind of dispensationalist category you would fall under... Uh, there's a lot of nuances to it, but predominantly it's based around where you place the start of the church, Um, whether it's at the cross, whether it's Acts 2, Acts 7 through 9, Acts 15 or Acts 28. Um, And really, that's where you place the start of the church is along with some other things, um, you know, when it comes to the ordinances of the church, what carries over from the old dispensation to the new and uh, whether or not anything does. Um, but I, you guys might understand that a little bit more, but what category would you consider yourself as?
2: Well, as far as labeling, I think many times those are straw bands as far as, um, you know, someone calling someone hyper or ultra. I get what they're saying when they say that, but, um, I would, I would be in the camp of the dispensation of the grace of God began with the apostle Paul. Uh, according to what we 'll get into here in a little bit about okay. what the Bible says about that, um, so
0: okay, so um we we talked about what dispensationalism the categories now what are the implications of interpreting the Bible in opposition to your particular view and and uh, in, in piggyback off of that question kind of carry over what are the dangers of viewing the Bible in a way that is in opposition to your view of dispensationalism so um just interpreting the Bible in opposition to kind of what your dispensational view would be. How does that affect somebody doctrinally?
2: Doctrinally, well, I believe that we have the gospel of the grace of God given to the Apostle Paul Paul by revelation of Jesus Christ, not Jesus according to the earthly ministry to where he ministered only to the house of Israel, but according to his heavenly ministry, the ascended, resurrect, and glorified Christ. And ultimately, if, if you don't, I believe, put it there, then what you're undoubtedly going to do is put yourself back under the law. And um, by doing that, I believe that is going to wreak havoc uh, on a person's Christian life. Uh, they're going to constantly find themselves uh, in a performance-based system, um, and they're going to be going to uh, many places in the Gospels to where, uh, quite frankly, uh, they were commanded to do something to find a right standing with God, uh, like the rich young ruler and others. So um, also about the future of the body of Christ. Are we going to the tribulation? Are we not? Are we going to be raptured out the midpoint? All these other issues come into that. And I think if you rapidly divide the word of truth and you come to it and say, you know what, Paul got a dispensation given to him, and uh, we follow that through about our Christian living, the destiny of the church, and the role of the church uh, in what uh, the body of Christ is supposed to be doing today. Uh, We're not going out and and building the kingdom. We're not advancing the kingdom. Uh, We are ambassadors uh, for Jesus Christ uh, in this mystery age. So a lot of uh, practical implications and also on prayer. I mean, you start claiming prayer promises that are given to Israel, uh, how many people have been disappointed and they claimed something there in the gospels and it didn't happen. Uh, what about there in James, it talks about anointing the oil, uh, the sick with oil and praying over them. And um, and just a lot of other issues I think gets cleared up if you understand where we're at um, in, in this mystery age. And um, obviously I'll say this, uh, I read all the Bible, um, reading every bit of it. And, and I think it's all there for our learning. Um, I can learn a lot from the story of Noah about uh, his faith and standing uh, tall for the Lord and and really nobody wanting to hear his message. Him uh, wanting to see his family get into the ark and a lot of practical uh, things, spiritual applications there that I can gain. But doctrinally, you know, God's not going to tell me to build an ark. Uh, So, you know, I I can't say uh, what I'm going to do as Noah did. Well, no, I'm not because I'm not in that dispensation, but I can learn uh,
0: from all of the Bible. Um, I think, dude, there's a lot to talk about there. I mean, just in what, what you mentioned, I mean, we could probably spend the rest of our rest of the time just kind of unpacking each bullet point. Um, and maybe we'll be able to, to get into some of that. I, I really hope we do, but um, just to kind of build on the foundation for what we're talking about here when we talk about essentials of the faith. You know that's a common term here. What is essential to the faith to be a Christian, right? Um, so, in, in in a real kind of short, um, easy answer, it's it's we don't. Ex- it, it's so easy that a, a child can believe and enter the kingdom of God that you can actually believe the gospel and be saved as a kid, okay? Um, but when it it can be a little more complicated too because some people would try to mix in some of the things. Uh, that would be mentioned, that was mentioned earlier is meritorious for your salvation, such as uh, baptism. Um, in the charismatic movement, some people would say, well, you've got to be able to have the second blessing, the speaking in tongues, uh, before you actually have the Holy Spirit. Um, there, there's a lot of things that we would consider essential to the faith. So what about the deity of Jesus Christ? What about the virgin birth? So when we talk about the essentials of the faith, um, we I, I wouldn't say I don't, I don't know what your answer would be I think that we'd probably be in the same ballpark here. Um, but I would say uh, it, you don't have to know everything about Christianity to become a Christian. however, if you before you confess that you do believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you reject the deity of Jesus Christ or you reject the virgin birth, what we would call, Essentials of the faith, like if you don't believe these things and you, you actually have an opposing viewpoint to that, uh, then you cannot be a Christian if, if that's what you think is going to be something that you want to convert to. You have to believe in these things. Um, not in the sense that you have to believe with, you know, you have to have all these questions answered and check them off the list and say, hey, you know what, I believe this, I'm now a Christian. That's not how it works. Um, you know, you mentioned it earlier, it's a hard attitude thing, it's a faith thing. And, um, and that's what it boils down to. It's so easy. A kid can believe it and become a Christian. Um, but there can be some things that can complicate it that you really need to iron out um, that just simply raising your hand and saying, yeah, I, I prayed that prayer or whatever. That's not enough, man. I mean, sometimes you got to sit down with someone and deal with them one-on-one and say, uh, you know, th- I think baptism it plays a meritorious part in salvation and work that out with them. Things like that. So um, what would your response be to dispensationalism, rightly dividing the word, and kind of the conversation that we're going to have tonight? Is it essential to the faith?
2: About baptism?
0: No, I mean, just dispensationalism in itself.
2: Yeah, um, right. I, I don't think, obviously, um, first of all, we'll never have it all figured out in this life either.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but...
2: um you know it talks about in second timothy chapter 2 verse 18 who concern the truth have erred saying that the resurre- resurrection is passed already and overthrow the faith of some so scenario where you gave maybe individuals maybe like this guy that had that uh, those questions that he's dealing with i think it's possible to have your faith overthrown i mean we have biblical examples of that so um but, yes, I think it's important as a child can understand that they're sinners and that we're all sinners. And, and Christ uh, came into the world uh, to die for sins and that he was buried and that he was resurrected the third day. And so and I think it's always important, Josh, to talk with people about what they're being saved from.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Many times with the prosperity gospel, well, you're being saved from your financial burdens or your yeah, physical uh, health. Well, no, I'm being saved from a literal hell. Uh, the payment of my sin, the wages, is death, and it's, it's the second death, unless I trust what Jesus Christ did and His blood uh, was shed for me, and I'm putting my faith in what He did. Uh, so I think it's always important to do that as well, uh, to talk about what salvation even means. What are we being saved from? What are we, what are we being saved to? Um, you know a life of of service to be his workmanship so um, and I think a lot of that has been so confused um, throughout maybe even the last uh, you know especially 50 60 years uh, even in the American churches is is you go to most people and you ask them how to be saved or what does it mean to be saved you're going to get a lot of different answers uh, concerning these things so uh, it was Dr. Curtis Hudson that said I like the waters of the grace of God to be crystal clear. And so I think we need to be very clear when
0: we're dealing with the gospel. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that 100%. So now I've got a hypothetical question for you. I know that every pastor loves hypothetical questions because, you know, sometimes they're not real. but And this one, it, here's the kind of framework for it. If you saw um, If you saw someone just reading their Bible, like you were talking about, just sitting down, reading their Bible, you said, well, where are you reading at? What are you reading? And he started a conversation with him about that. And they said, you know what? I'm reading in, I'm reading in the gospels. he said, well, where specifically are you reading? And they said, well, you know, I'm reading in, let's say, John chapter six, coming towards the end of the chapter. And uh, it's Jesus talking. And um, they said, you said, well, what are you hoping to get out of that? And, and they, they tell you, you know, I really think that, um, that I want to be saved you know, like, that I need to believe in Jesus. And, uh, and, and that is really something that I, I think I need an answer to. And uh, so you really get into that, you start talking to them, you've got the groundwork for where they're at, what they're reading, they're reading the words of Jesus, they're now wanting to deal with salvation. Where do you go with someone on that? When you're in the gospels, you're reading the red letters of Christ, and uh, you've got to give them an answer.
2: Right so uh, if I'm in the gospels um first of all the gospels are foundational to the christian life we do, we do not have a record of the life of christ if we don't have the gospels and so uh the deity of christ and and all these uh the you know we have about the virgin birth now obviously you've got the virgin birth there in Isaiah 7 as well but what i'm saying is they're they're vital uh to have that um so he's reading through here, he's he's realizing, you know what, I need to be saved. Um, I would take him to a passage to where I did find the death, burial, and resurrection being offered as salvation immediately uh, from sin. And so I would probably, a passage that I use most often, um, well, two passages, 1 Corinthians fifteen one through four, uh, tells us about the death, burial, and resurrection, and also Romans three. Uh, verses 19 through 31 um, it tells me about uh, that we're all guilty before God uh, it tells us that by the deeds uh, of the law no flesh will be justified in sight but now we can have this righteousness um, and it's uh, by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe for there's no difference And so what is God requiring of us? He's he's requiring of us to believe on his son, his death, burial, and resurrection uh, as the propitiation uh, through faith in his blood. So I I have the blood. I have believe on Christ. I have free grace uh, right here in verse number 24. I have justification. I have this passage telling them that they are in fact sinners and they've come short of the glory of God. So there's uh, all the all the points I would want to hit about the gospel. Uh, this is a great passage to use. Ephesians 1 uh, verse 13 uh, as well would be another good one about how we receive this and whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So I would just walk them through that. Uh, uh, about hearing the Gospel. Have you heard the Gospel? Do you believe the Gospel? And so what happens as a result? You are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So uh, those are some places that I would use and I use uh, most often Ephesians 2 8 9 obviously uh, would be another great place about not by works uh, that I would go to. Um,
0: so I, I think there's there's obviously some things that I would I would disagree on um, I I don't have any problem you know you've got an open Bible, they're reading the open Bible, and you say, well, let's go here, let's go here, let's look at this, let's, it, it, First Corinthians, let's go to Romans, let's go to Ephesians. I don't have any problem with that. Um, but, but because it's a hypothetical, I can kind of set the scenario up however I want. <laughs> so let's just say like, you don't have any of those other books. You've just got the four gospels, and someone's reading the book of John, and you want to show them the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Could you do that?
2: Yes, I could show them the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Um, Romans 15, verse number 8. Now, I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. Um, So, as we look at, again, you're you're taking the Bible as a whole, uh, Jesus Christ According to Romans chapter 15, verse number 8, and according to Matthew 10, according to other places, he literally says out of his mouth, uh, these 12 Jesus sent forth, commanding them, saying, go not into the way of the Gentiles, into any city of the Samaritans, enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And uh, here's the message, uh, and as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, And so this was the gospel that Jesus Christ was preaching in all four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the message that John the Baptist preached in Matthew chapter uh, number four and uh, other places, Luke chapter three. It's the message that Peter uh, and the other 12 and the disciples were preaching. As a matter of fact, they were preaching it for six chapters. When Jesus finally revealed to them, it says at that time in Matthew 16, that he began to tell them, uh, from that time forth began Jesus show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and, and raised again the third day. And verse 22, Peter's not rejoicing. He's not saying, of course we know that. That's what we've been preaching. He says, then Peter took him and began to rebuke him saying, be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. So uh, looking at it here, um, they're not preaching the death, burial, and resurrection for eternal life uh, here in the Gospels. They're preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, two Jews who were under the law, fulfilling the law, and carrying out all those responsibilities according to the prophetic program. Uh, they are in multiple passages I'm sure we'll get into uh, here in just a moment.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I think, obviously, there's a lot to respond to in there. Um, I, I would hold the position of a pr- progressive revelation um, so I think this is, this is the way that I see it. Um, I see the gospel is the same gospel throughout the entire Bible. Okay. I know a lot of people would say, oh, automatically right there, you don't rightly divide the word, right? So, um, but I think that one of the things that you brought up earlier, especially, um, when you're talking about dispensations with that guy who brought it up to you, and uh, you specifically brought up the dispensation of the grace of God. I, th- I think that it's, it's a little elusive to say, well, the dispensation of the grace of God um, didn't start with Paul because Paul was the one who gave the revelation of that. Um, and, and more in particular, when you look back in Genesis chapter 6, um, grace is all throughout the Bible, and, and I don't think you would disagree with that. So when we're talking about the dispensation of the grace of God, I mean, you, you would have to actually break down um, you would have to break down what that means as far as the dispensation of the grace of God. So was there a time, was there an economy, was there an economy that there was no grace of God? Or does, does God's economy or administration um, or the way that God is, is, is dealing with man throughout history, does that grace change throughout history? Obviously, Noah found grace in the eyes of God in Genesis chapter 6. Obviously, when we're looking at the Gospels themselves, um, there's there's a there's a point of revelation that even Jesus is saying to these guys like y- you don't understand still like I'm I'm literally sitting in front of you telling you that I'm the temple I'm going to destroy this temple and 3 days later I'm going to raise it again you don't under- and so I mean he's berating them he's he's telling them like why don't you get it so I think in it, revelation in itself is good but revelation without having your understanding open, opened is another thing. So when, when we talk about in this hypothetical question, can you actually can you actually sit down with this person that all they've got is the four gospels In my made-up hypothetical situation. They don't have Romans. They don't have any other book in the Bible. And you want to lead somebody to Christ. You want them to be able to be saved in the church age, as we would call it, um, the dispensation of the grace of God, as Paul puts it, um, I think that you can do that. I think that there's there's no problem with understanding that that it was prophesied of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It was prophesied all throughout the Bible. The prophets wrote about it. Uh, Peter even says like they didn't understand what they were writing, but they wrote it because they were writing by inspiration. Um, so when we look at when we look in the Gospels and and specifically the d- disciples and apostles, these guys they didn't understand what Christ was saying, even though they had it revealed to them. So I, I think that that's something that we need to consider, especially when we come to the end of the book of Luke. Um, at the end of the book of Luke, after Jesus has risen, he appears before the disciples. And then before he sends them out with the Great Commission, he reveals to them everything about himself throughout the entire Bible, through the types, the shadows, uh, the examples, the ensamples, all the things in the Bible that are personify Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. And, uh, but before he reveals it to them, he actually opens their understanding. So now it's not like, hey guys, why aren't you getting it? They get it, man. He he went through the whole, they had a Bible study that lasted for I don't even know how long, Uh, but they got it. And that's what they went out and preached, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And guess what? The kingdom is at hand. I don't have any problem with that. Jesus preached the kingdom of God too. Paul preached the kingdom of God as well at the end of the book of Acts. There's no problem. I don't have any problem with that. Um, But obviously, there's some more intricate things that we would want to get into. I want to give you a chance to have a quick response. Then I'm going to play a clip here and uh, see if we can use this to kind of transition to what we're going to talk about next.
2: Right, yeah. And, um, you know, I would say wholeheartedly um, that God has showed that he can do something and most of the time does something totally different and as he reveals it to one man. Um, you know as we come to this issue about uh, you know where the church started um, and I take it with the Apostle Paul because of what I read uh, in Ephesians 3 Romans 16 other places but uh, and many people oppose that but they don't oppose that you know what God did something very different in Genesis 12 he took one man by the name of Abram and he started an entire nation in which you would bless all the world with and nobody tries to argue that and then we even look at Moses he took one man and dispense the law to him. Um, And nobody argues with that either. Uh, Even going all the way back to the garden, he took Adam uh, and did this. And so you see this throughout the Word of God, but yet we come to uh, the Apostle Paul, and Paul literally says um, that if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote in a few words. And he even goes on to talk about in other ages it was not made known. And so in other ages, I mean, if words mean anything, he says it wasn't made known. Peter's preaching, and you hit on it. Peter's preaching that which was spoken by all the mouth of the holy prophets since the world began. Zechariah said it in Luke chapter number one, that they would be saved from their enemies as the prophets had prophesied. Paul comes along and says, look, I'm not preaching Jesus Christ according to prophecy. I'm preaching Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. wasn't made known. It was hidden God, Colossians 1. So, um, obviously those are not the same they are contradictions if words mean anything in my opinion something can't be hid in god and kept secret before the world and yet was spoken by all the mouth of the holy prophets um,
0: they are mutually exclusive so and we'll, we'll i'm sure we'll get into more of that here in just a few minutes perfect and yeah, we'll, we'll have a chance to respond to that and to move forward. I think that this is, this is really where we're getting into the heart of the matter. Um, but let's play this real quick. It's, it's, it's another asking and T-Write Anything. It's dealing with dispensationalism itself and uh, the core of Christianity. So let's, let's get to it.
3: Which is a sign that we haven't got it right. So people coming to this book asking themselves now, is Tom Ryder... Writer- into penal substitution or Christus Victor or Ransom Theory or whatever, are they going to be disappointed or, or have you got something that's a, a synthesis of them or no. is that simply not the question you're interested um, in? Uh, ultimately I'm
1: interested in that question because it is the way many people have been taught to think there are these different theories and many great scholars have said well the New Testament simply ransacks them, a stock of metaphors, the slave market metaphor, the sacrifice metaphor etc. The answer is no, it's not like that. The New Testament is telling a great story which we've often forgotten and all these images mean what they mean within that story. And so here's the trick that the New Testament makes it clear that the death of Jesus really did win the victory of God over the dark forces of evil, corruption, and sin and death. But the way that that was achieved was through Jesus dying on behalf of, and in the place of, sinners. In other words, it is substitutionary, but it's in the service of what people call a Christus victor, Christ winning the victory over the powers. And to see how those fit together, you have to go back very carefully and read the text. I mean, John and Mark uh, are very clear about this. Luke, I think, says this in ways that people have hardly begun to notice. And when we start to read the Gospels like that, then we come back to Paul, and he gives you a very clear vision of what we please to call penal substitution. But it's in the service of this vision of new creation
0: so um I, I think that that's kind of a transition uh, for what we're talking about here did 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 Paul work independently of the foundation that was laid obviously in, in the book of Acts in first Corinthians it talks about a foundation that the Apostles laid for the church so um, I, I think that this is this is a core issue that that we would have to get to um, is is twofold Um when we're when we're talking about the gospel of the kingdom, when we're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, um, we're talking about a, a king and a kingdom, the lordship. All of these different aspects, these these focal keywords that are just completely centered in the gospels around Jesus. Who is Jesus? What is he doing? And uh, what's what is this? What does this all mean? The death, burial, and resurrection. What does it all mean now? And uh, where do we go from there? So. When we talk about the Lord Jesus Christ, I think this is this is something that I'd like to pull out and see where we agree, where we disagree. But some people would even say Jesus was the Messiah. They were looking for a king to come and build his kingdom, to start the kingdom, and uh, not for the king, the creator of the universe, to come and die, uh, but to establish his kingdom and to rule in victory and to, and to put his enemies um, under his feet as as their his footstool. Um but I think what I'm getting at, to make a, a long question longer, is, is simply this. When we talk about Christ, when we talk about the, about the Messiah, when we talk about the Lord, these are all references to Jesus as Messiah um, within a kingly realm, which the, the apostles obviously made a reference to. But what would you say about Jesus Christ as the Messiah for church age people, you and me? Is Jesus your Messiah? Jesus
2: is the head of the body of Christ, and that's what I'm in. He came to Israel, uh, Matthew 10. uh, I mean, other places, Romans 15, we've already read those. Um, So he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and and within that he's healing all manner of sickness. Um, He's showing those kingdom signs, and he's offering Israel. He's preaching the kingdom of, of heaven is at hand. Um, and so he's doing that throughout his entire ministry. Um, so, uh, in the sense of Jesus Christ, uh, the new creation, and by the way, it is new. It's not It's not supplanting the old. Um, it is a brand new creation uh, that Paul says it's the one new man. Uh, we're neither Jew nor Gentile. There's no doubt about it in the gospel accounts and even in early Acts. You're not going to find a. Uh, You're not going to find a Jew or a Gentile uh, that are trusting in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection for immediate salvation. They were looking forward to the kingdom. That's the message that's being preached. And with that, if you compare John the Baptist's message in Mark chapter number 1, verse 4, Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. Well, that sounds a lot like uh, what Peter preached in Acts 2. Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. Peter talked about in Acts 3, Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Well, when are they going to be blotted out? He tells us when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. He shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. And he goes on to say uh, many more things about that. And continually we find Uh, that through this, and I'll go ahead and tell you this, Josh, this this will sum it up. The mystery of Christ, the mystery of the gospel, is not that God would bless Gentiles. That's prophesied about. I mean, we, we read that all throughout the scriptures. The mystery was that God is going to bless the Gentiles without the channel of blessing, which was Israel. And so now there's no difference. Jew or Gentile, we come to Jesus Christ not by the covenants, not by the law, but by the blood of Christ. And so this is this was the mystery. This is what Peter was not preaching. This is what Jesus, in his earthly ministry, he came to minister to Israel to confirm the promises made to the fathers. Even when the uh, Canaanite woman showed up to him in Matthew 15, I mean, he flat out uh, tells her... He answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I mean, we would expect if, you know, him to say, well, of course, you know, I'm sent to you. But that's not what he said. He didn't say it then, and he didn't say it throughout uh, his earthly ministry. The only time uh, that he did minister to these Gentiles is when they put themselves under the authority and the blessing of Israel. And that's who he was coming to. Um, So would you say that Jesus is your Messiah? I would say jesus is my savior he's he is my he's the head of the body of christ in which i am a member i'm bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh according to mystery according to my gospel uh, according to uh, the dispensation that was given to paul and is my pattern first timothy 15 first timothy 1 15 and 16. um and very simply uh, another another example uh, of Jesus not proclaiming his death, burial, and resurrection for immediate individual salvation. Um, if someone asked you how to be saved, came to you, I hope you wouldn't tell them, keep the commandments and sell everything that they had. I hope you wouldn't tell them, repent, be baptized for the remission of sins. Um, so, But we see Jesus spoke in Matthew 19 to the rich young ruler and told him exactly that. And then we follow that through. And what do we see Peter and the other disciples doing in early Acts? They are, they've are they sold everything that they've had. They brought it in, laid at the apostles' feet. And that's why later in Romans chapter 15, they're having to send basically a love offering to support the poor saints in Jerusalem. The kingdom did not come. They rejected it. Well, they're poor because they sold everything they had. And there was nothing wrong with them doing that. They were abiding by their dispensation. That's what Jesus told them to do. He literally said that. And so there's been books that's written. Uh, David Platt wrote a book called Radical. Uh, and Francis Chan and some of those. But yet they speak about that, and that's what we should do. But they don't do it. There's nobody on planet Earth. That is following Jesus in the red letters in Matthew 19. Nobody has sold everything that they've had, uh, and they're not going to do it. And if they do that, they're going against what Paul taught uh, in in his epistles. So, just taking those things into consideration, they're not saying the same thing. And I know how most commentators say, "Well, Jesus knew his heart." Well, you're making that up because it's not in the text. And matter of fact, when when he's Jesus brings it up. Uh, to the rich young ruler and Peter comes back and says you know what we've already done all that and so if he was just you know concerned with a rich young ruler's heart he'll Peter an apology um, but he didn't so that was the offer of the kingdom because God is going to supernaturally provide uh, everything that you need that's why Matthew 5 is written that's why the he told him to pray in that manner Give us this day our daily bread because remember, Josh, what they were expecting uh, to enter into uh, that tribulation time period uh, where God would uh, supernaturally provide, and He's still going to do that in the future. And that's another uh, dispensational topic and question uh, that we may have time to get into tonight. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I don't, I mean, we're at an hour and 15 minutes. I, this is kind of a, it's, it, we've had a really good. Opportunity to kind of set a foundation. I'd like to go a little bit further. Um, I think we had talked originally about going an hour and a half. Are you still good with that? Yeah,
2: I'm okay. good. We can go as long as you'd like to.
0: Okay. Um, I think an hour and a half is about as long as any anyone in my audience wants to wants to stay on, and I, and I don't blame them for that. But um, it it's good, man. This this is the kind of stuff that is my passion. I mean, there's nothing that I love more than just sitting down with somebody and talking about the Bible and hashing out some of the differences that we may have without, you know, uh, cutting fellowship or what, whatever the case may be. I mean, I think that there's, there's obviously some things that you need to break fellowship over. There's some things that you don't. Um, but I, I think that you can even have really firm disagreements like what we're talking about here. I believe that someone can be born again by simply believing the words that Jesus Christ spoke uh, within the Gospels. I don't have any problem I, with
2: that. that quick, I I, I want to just real quick. When I, when I talk about Paul, remember I'm not I'm not saying that Paul wrote down whatever he wanted to. The the words of the apostle Paul are the words of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um. So when I, I and and I don't I don't think that you're trying to say that I, I believe that, but I just want to make that clear. Paul's not just writing on a whim. Paul is writing. Uh, what Jesus Christ revealed to him, read Galatians 1, Galatians 2, uh, consider what I say and the Lord give you understanding in all things. He talked about he shall come to visions and revelations of the Lord. So um, I'm not saying that Paul, you know, made up whatever he wanted to. He got uh, the words from Jesus Christ, not according to his earthly ministry. He got it according to the mystery and he got it from the ascended Lord from heaven.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, and, but I think that there's some things that are, to me, seemingly contradictory in that statement because um, I, I think that it one pits Paul against Jesus. So I, I think that it would make Paul in opposition to what Jesus was preaching. If Paul was in fact preaching something different than what Jesus was preaching regarding salvation, then obviously there there's there's got to be an opposition there. Like one of these one of these gospels is different. Uh, and, and one of these is going to save you, one of them is not, um, either Paul's right or Jesus is right, you've got to take your pick. But what, what, even, what, makes it, what would make your position even more confusing to me, just listening to your position, is, is Paul says, be followers of me even as I am of Christ, right? So mm-hmm. where did he get that? I mean, where, where, where does Paul get his discipleship classes on following Christ? I mean, and I think that that's there's a lot to do with what people take as a salvific passage within the Gospels that has nothing to do with it. It's talking about discipleship but why don't you why don't you answer that question there first is is um is Paul in opposition to Christ when it comes to the gospel, and um what does it mean for Paul to be a follower follower of Christ well again, as you look at the other passages I've quoted, I'm not trying to
2: beat a dead horse, but the Bible says what it says, that Jesus didn't come to the Gentiles in his earthly ministry.
0: Well, he and, came I earth. wouldn't. I don't mean to stop you. I um, I wouldn't have a problem with that. I, I haven't addressed a lot of the points that you, you have made, which I would love to. Um, but I don't have any problem with that. I mean, he says he's coming to his own first, and then he's going to move out. And that's the same commission that he gave the apostles. He says, go to Jerusalem, and go to Judea, and then go to the other most parts of the world. And that's what that's what that's the model that he gave them, and it's the same model that he used. But it's not to say that Jesus didn't interact and and even heal and even save uh, Gentiles, because we know that he did. And and it's not to say that Peter didn't. And it's not to say that Paul didn't. It's not to. It, so there, there's there's some things that um, when when we're talking about Gentiles and Jews, and and the difference really comes down to, in my opinion. Uh, the difference between Israel and the church. I think there's some major distinctions that have to be made there. Um, And uh, specifically, when we're talking about Jews and Gentiles and salvation, um, when the Jews killed their Messiah, it moved towards, not individually in the sense of individual salvation, although it was individual, (laughs) it moved corporately through the Gentiles as opposed to through the Jews. Yet salvation is still of the Jews. So I, I think that those are some things to just kind of iron out and uh, see where we end up with it.
2: All right, well, let me answer your uh, your first response. Um, Galatians 1 verse um, number 12, excuse me, verse number, wish I had time to read the whole passage. Verse number 11, But I certify to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man, For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. So there's your your teaching. Well, and Let me respond
0: to that. Is there anything that you wanted to add more to that, or do you want me to respond to that point first?
2: Well, yeah, just um, let let me go ahead and get this to Isaiah 60. It talks about that the Gentiles shall come to thy light and kings to the brightness of thy rising. So in the prophetic program, and what Jesus is preaching. Jesus is coming only to Israel, and it's not that he did not care for or was not going to minister to Gentiles, but that was only after that Israel was converted, because remember, they offer is the kingdom of heaven.
0: So are you saying that, that 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 passage in Isaiah is a prophecy of the church age?
2: Absolutely not. It's a prophecy of the kingdom age. Okay, I Israel, missed
0: what you said there.
2: <laughs> What's defined is that Gentiles are blessed through the rising of Israel. Gotcha. The mystery is oh, Romans yeah, yeah. 7 Paul talks about that now the state of Israel, they're not rising. Matter of fact, they have fallen, but through their fall, salvation is come unto the Gentiles. Gotcha. That's the mystery. Yeah. That's the mystery that Jesus did not reveal in the Gospels. And let me ask you this, Josh: If the if the church, do you believe that the church
0: started in the Gospels? I think that the, the yep, I, I think the New Testament started at the death of the testator, so that would be at the death of Christ, the testator. Something new happened. Something new started. But then, it, it, I think that obviously Acts two is extremely important. So um, I don't know how to articulate and 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 put those two things together between Acts two. And the actual crucifixion of Christ, well, probably more specifically the resurrection of Christ. Um, I don't, I don't know exactly what God's doing in between those two to- two things there, but I know the Holy Spirit obviously made a huge impact in Acts two, and something very special happened. Um, and you know, I the classic dispensationalist would put it in Acts two. I think I, I, I don't know how, I, I don't know how you can. Uh, you know, some guys some guys would even put it the start of the church in Matthew 13. I don't know how you can do that. Um, but, you know, I'd probably put it at the death of Christ, or probably more specifically the resurrection of Christ. But let me hit that point in Galatians. So in Galatians 1, when, when Paul said, "...the gospel that was preached of me is not after man, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ." Do you do you think that that means that Paul is preaching something different than the other apostles?
2: Absolutely, I do, because as you go to Galatians 2, he actually, by revelation, he goes up and communicated unto them mm-hmm. that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which are of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. And do you so, think that if, that has any
0: reference to to the Judaizers in Acts 15
2: right because Paul is preaching a different gospel he's preaching the gospel of the uncircumcision he goes up to them those are the apostles so then to the Jerusalem assembly there and he's communicating them that gospel which he preaches among the Gentiles it's a very simple question. If Paul, by revelation, has to go up there and communicate and teach them and explain to them the gospel that he's preaching, bears in mind they're not preaching the same gospel.
0: Well, I think that what you're presuming, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, I think that the presumption would be that that they're the, the same exact people within those people groups. So what I, what I mean is, um, just because Paul received his revelation from God and not from man, doesn't mean that the apostles didn't as well in Luke 24:45, 45. Um, and I think that they did. They didn't receive it of man. They received it to Jesus Christ as well. In fact, it was the same gospel that they were preaching in, in Acts 2 that Jesus Christ told them to preach. And I believe that it's just as consistent with the gospel that Paul was preaching uh, when actually Peter's the one preaching it in Acts 15. Uh, to these people, that supposedly he's being corrected by Paul here. So I don't think that he is being corrected by Paul here, um, in the sense that he is he's of the same sect of the Jews or the way uh, who's telling people, you, yeah, this is this is real, this is the gospel, but you've got to be circumcised as well. So and if you're not circumcised, none of this other stuff means anything. So I, I think that the apostles and and Paul. Were preaching the same gospel but none of them received that revelation from man they all got it from God
2: right uh, the apostles the twelve apostles got it from Jesus Christ uh, in his earthly ministry Paul got it from Jesus from heaven now, they got it
0: in Luke twenty-four forty. that's after the resurrection Paul's not even saved in Luke 24 I'm not talking about Paul I'm talking about the other apostles Right, they're preaching the gospel of the kingdom. No, they're not. They're what I'm no, saying in don't. Luke twenty four forty five, what what gospel did they receive from Jesus Christ?
2: They didn't receive a gospel. He told them to go out and keep preaching the one that you're preaching.
0: So begin what did Jesus Jerusalem. teach him? When he when in he at, sat down I'm sorry, go ahead. I interrupted you. In, begin at Jerusalem, like we
2: said earlier, in God's prophetic program, Israel has to be converted. And then all the world will be blessed. That's going all the way back to Abraham. It's not that he was leaving the Gentiles out, but he came to Israel. Now, and you've already mentioned Mark 16. Mark 16 uh, often gets quoted with verse 15, but then they don't keep reading about being baptized. Um, the sign shall follow them that believe. Uh-huh. You read Mark 16. And nobody on planet Earth. Uh, well, let me let, let me back up. Uh I'll give and I'll give the Church of Christ some credit here. They believe Acts two thirty eight and they practice it verbatim.
0: Yeah, I don't. And yeah, go ahead. When,
2: Jesus, when when Jesus gives it here, he says, "These signs shall follow them that believe: in my name they shall cast out devils; they shall speak with new tongues; they shall take up serpents; if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them; and they shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover." You go back and find that's exactly the the same gospel that they had been preaching in Matthew 10, in Luke chapter 9 and 10, in Mark chapter number 6. It's the same thing that's going on in early Acts. Peter is the predominant one uh, there. He already uh, had Jesus told him, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, not to the body of Christ. And with that, accompanied all these signs of the kingdom. That's what they were for. The Bible says that the Jews require a sign. And so as you look here in Acts, there's the exact message that John the Baptist is preaching. You will never find the Apostle Paul telling anybody, repent and be baptized for he the remission. He does in Acts twenty six. Paul's not preaching. He's was, giving an account, he's given an account of his testimony. He's not telling them to repent be baptized for the remission of sins. Okay. Paul is point blank asked a question in, in Acts 16 What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Um, we have uh, remission of sins in Romans chapter number three. Romans chapter three, according to the Apostle Paul, it says, uh, "Whom God has set forth to be a uh, propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His uh, righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God." You don't say anything about repentance or water baptism for the remission of sins, but you do find that in the Kingdom program.
0: Okay, so let me let me start back in Mark. I'll make a couple of points. We're getting really close to an hour and a half, which is, it's starting to get good. This is, I mean, we're really getting into the heart of it. And I think that if we were to continue it, do something again in the future, um, rather than go through all the stuff that we did in the, in the in the beginning to set a foundation on scripture, get into defining, we can just pick a passage um, or a couple of passages or a topic, whatever we want to do, Acts 2, Mark 16, whatever, um, and kind of just, Nail it down, hammer it out, and go from there. But what I would say is, Mark 16 and Luke 24 um, are are speaking about the same events. Uh, they're they're both post resurrection. They're both Jesus Christ giving a revelation to the apostles, and uh, they're both a revelation that was not known before. Um, obviously, the the gospel is is uh, keyed on the resurrection of Christ. If you don't have the resurrection of Christ, you don't have a gospel. So. When their when their understanding was opened, and he's preaching to them in in Luke 24, he says this this uh, what does he say? Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all the nations beginning in Jerusalem, and your witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise my Father upon you, uh, but tarry uh, but tarry you in the city of Jerusalem until you. Um, be endued with the power from on high. So obviously, there's a reference to the Holy Spirit coming down. Wait for this to happen. Go to Jerusalem. All of these things, but He just gave them the gospel. Um, what I would what I would argue is that I think that you're making a connection that Matthew 28, Mark 16, Acts 2, um, when it when He's talking about repent and believe, that you, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me that that you're making the argument that baptism was a meritorious act of salvation, that it was something that people expected to play a role in their salvation. Is that the position that you're taking?
2: Under the gospel of the kingdom, and by the way, how I, I would define faith is faith is simply believing what God has said. And so salvation according to the gospel of the kingdom was water baptism. Because remember, they're a kingdom of priests. That's what he was preparing Israel for. And so that's why John is baptized. And Why did Jesus be baptized? It wasn't for sins. It was to fulfill all righteousness. And so he is. Uh, he was identifying himself uh, with his people. Isaiah 53. And so, what would a a person that's coming into the kingdom gospel, if they believe that Jesus was a Christ, well, they would be water baptized. I mean, that's uh, Mark 16. I know. I know people try to explain that away, but he simply. There's no doubt about it. There's water baptism there. Uh, And remember, when when we're talking about salvation, we're talking about in the kingdom, that is what they were looking forward to. Luke chapter number one, we'll be saved from our enemies. We're not going to be the tail. We're going to be the head of the nations again. And through that, here come the Gentiles to be blessed. Zechariah chapter eight, where it talked about uh, that day where they'll lay hold. Uh, of a Jew, uh, grab hold of his skirt and say, take us, uh, teach us, and show us the way of the Lord, for God is with you. Um, So there's multitudes, multitudes of Old Testament passages uh, that if we had more time, we can look at. So uh, Jesus told him again, remission of sins, uh, starting there in Jerusalem. And by the way, Pentecost was not a mystery. Uh, Pentecost is a feast day for the Jews, and Joel uh, talked about. And matter of fact, that's exactly what Peter preached this is that uh that was spoken by the prophet now if it's spoken by the prophet that means it's prophesied and paul comes along and says what i'm what i'm giving you was not made known it was kept secret it was hidden and he says this and i'll leave this uh with you josh here and you can uh you know however much you want to go that's fine but in ephesians chapter number three when paul says the unsearchable riches of christ The unsearchable means unsearchable. You can't go back there anywhere else in the word of God and find what Paul's preaching. He calls it unsearchable. It's untraceable. And so that is a mystery that was dispensed to him. And um, that's where we're at today. And so um, I'm not going to take someone and tell them they've got to repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. But John did, and so did Peter, because that's what Jesus was preaching as well. And that's what
0: he taught him to preach according to the kingdom program. Um, so, what I what I would say just right off the top. What, what was the last thing? Uh, oh, the unsearchable riches. So, I don't I don't think that that's a reference to the mysteries being revealed to Paul. I don't think that that's I, I don't think that's a mystery to the I don't I don't think it's a reference to that. I think it's a reference to um, sim, simply the unsearchable riches of God. Um, but what I would also say is, in, in regard to where are we going with this? Oh, so one thing that you had mentioned was was that obviously baptism didn't play any role in uh, um, the baptism of Christ. Um, And and then it it seemed like you were drawing a distinction that baptism doesn't play a meritorious role with Christ, therefore it doesn't, and this is where it kind of got unclear to me, that I would take it that you're saying it doesn't play any meritorious role in Acts 2, Mark 16, Matthew 28. But at the same time, it seems like you also said no one can argue with this that the two are linked together, hand in hand. So, are you saying, are you saying that Jesus' baptism was a baptism that didn't have anything to do with his salvation, but yet everyone else's baptism did? Jesus is the King of
2: Israel. He was identifying himself with the prophetic program. Um, Isaiah sixty-one verse six, Exodus nineteen five and six, um, and then. All the others that believed he was a Christ would be water baptized. Just like as you go throughout the Word of God, Josh, someone to find a right standing with God has to do what God has said in that dispensation. I'm not bringing an animal sacrifice, but Abel had to, of of, of blood. Um, Cain brought a sacrifice, but it's not what God said. So it's not that that Abel's works saved him. It was faith. But what did faith require of Abel to bring the sacrifice? Noah Um, No one could say, well, God, I I believe that you're going to make it, you know, know, rain from heaven, um, but I'm not going to build the ark. Well, no, faith built the ark. So as you come to the gospel of the kingdom, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins, and then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's the order that you find the prophetic program. And so what does faith do? Faith simply takes God at his word and how he's dispensed that information. You and I, I believe we come to the Word of God and says, okay, uh, what is our gospel? Is that, uh, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. We don't have to show our faith or express it in anything. We simply rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That was never prophesied before, especially to Gentiles. Ephesians chapter number two tells us this. Uh, That we were strangers from the covenants, having no hope without God in the world. Uh, But now in Christ Jesus, you who are sometimes far off, are made now by the blood of Christ. And so when a a sinner today, and from the Apostle Paul, when they trust in the death, burial, and resurrection, immediately they are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. They're baptized by one spirit into one body. Um, And that's the the salvation that that Paul preached. Um, That was a mystery.
0: Um, Okay, so I'm going to give a a closing kind of summary here in response to just one point that you made there, and then I want to end with a question and then give you the last word, and we'll go from there. But um, one thing that you mentioned um, just in this last little um, segment that you went through here was the example of Noah. Um, You went through an example of Abel. You went through an example of Noah. Um, But specifically with Noah, uh, in, in regards to his salvation. I I think that this is one of the most beautiful pictures and types of Christ in all of the Bible. Um, Noah, Noah, Noah didn't earn his salvation. It's not like God gave him a mandate that, listen, if you want to have eternal life, you got to build this ark. Because, by the way, if if that's, if if there's a mandate that's universal, that was given to an individual, uh, in the examples, say, Noah to Abraham to Jacob, to Isaac, to the 12 tribes of Israel, to um, Israel itself as a corporate nation, which would be the individual. All of these things connected. In a roundabout way, what I'm what I'm saying is there were seven other people that got on that boat, but there's only one person that's listed in the Bible who actually built the ark. So I, I don't see how you can actually draw a correlation that works, has ever played any role in anyone's life um, mixed with faith. As, as, as a meritorious act for salvation in any dispensation in any age. I don't believe that that's the case. I think it's I think that grace was found back there with Noah in the very beginning of the Bible. I think you could find grace throughout every single chapter page and book in the entire Bible and um, it, it, it starts with what was a type and a shadow, something that was a picture of something to come um, which which is why, um, there's there's a big difference between the Old Testament and the New, but it's not the Gospel. The Gospel's the same there's there's a revelation that as 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 God's um dealing with man moves throughout history, he gives more revelation he gives more revelation, and Israel and man will pull away from God and then they'll come back to God and he'll give them more revelation and and I think that's the pattern that we see throughout the entire Bible until one day um even us we, we've got an ultimate day of salvation. Um, individually. I mean, we haven't been given a a glorified body yet. Uh, We've been promised one, so we look forward to that. But it's not just um, simply um, trusting in the things that Christ... Let me be really careful in how I word that. Um, I I think that when we're talking about faith, it's not something that's unseen that you're putting your faith in um, necessarily. It, it, it's a promise that you can see. There's evidence based off of what God has done in the past. So we've got to be able to look at what God has done in the past and go off of what He was saying as a model for what He's going to do in the future. So, for instance, the Old Testament pictures for what is a picture for what Christ is doing in the New Testament, which is relevant to all of us. Um, so I, I don't see any issue with that. But what I would say is that type that we're talking about with Noah, um, Noah is a picture of somebody that walks by faith, that that, that moves by faith. And that ark is going to be a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Anyone was welcome to come in. Anyone could come in. But walking up those steps, building that ark, all of these things that went into um, the preservation of their physical life is not something that was meritorious for their eternal salvation. Um, and and it's, not, it's the same today. There's nothing that we do to... Um, um, add to what Christ has already done for us, which is what a, a great picture um, in the Book of Exodus. All of those things that we can look at with with the high priest uh, and the atonement, the propitiation that you were talking about earlier. All of those things are beautiful types and pictures and shadows and and uh, of of what was to come in Christ. But what I would ask you this is, um, it it seemed a little bit contradictory to me for you to obviously quote um, what Peter's qu- um, quoting in Acts 2 with the book of Joel and saying this is that which uh, uh, Joel the prophet had spoken um, in the event and what, what happened in Acts 2. But if Joel had actually prophesied that whole event, then all of Joel would have had to have happened. So uh, I guess the point that I'm, I'm making and really asking for more clarification on is um, wh- when Peter is saying this is what Joel wrote about, this is what Joel was writing about what happened, do you believe that everything that Joel wrote about in, in Joel two actually happened? Do you, I mean, because um, one, it would be a prophecy of the church age. Two, um, it would it would um, it it would it would have major implications on some things that didn't actually happen that Peter said did happen. So, what's your take on that? And then I'll give you the final word
2: uh well no i think it actually confirms what i was talking about peter's preaching something in joel so therefore it can't be the body of christ because paul said it was not made known unto them he talks about the spirit coming which was not a mystery a lot of people in acts 2 say we see there it is there's a spirit uh so there's the beginning of the church the the spirit was not a mystery you can find it throughout the old testament but it talks about in acts 2 verse number 20 the Son shall be Uh, turn into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. That is what they were expecting to come, the day of the Lord, Uh, a time of judgment, a time of of darkness. Uh, But what happened? Israel rejected their Messiah, and that has been postponed. It's been put on hold. And here comes the dispensation of the grace of God revealed uh, to and through the Apostle Paul. So that's what you and I are living in. Uh, today. Um, I would ask you just a quick question um, about that with Noah. Again, I didn't say that their works were meritorious in in, in any fashion. I'm simply saying that faith does what God says to do. So the message was, I'm going to destroy the world with a flood. Those that got in believed that message by faith. If they didn't believe it, what God said, they wouldn't have got in there. And so therefore, uh, but God, they had to do something as an expression of their faith, just like a water baptism, just like a circumcision. If a if a person, a Gentile, if they wanted to be in a right standing with God before the dispensation of grace, they had to become an Israelite, and they had to come through the law. Um, they had to be circumcised. The males had to be circumcised. It wasn't a matter if they felt like they should or they had liberty uh, to do that or not it was an absolute requirement because if they didn't do that then thereby they didn't believe what God said so that's what I would say in that um, last thing I just want to get a quick comment if I could just ask a quick question um, what do you think or why did Jesus tell that rich young ruler over there in, in uh, Matthew 19 why do you think he told him to sell all he had and keep the commandment so on and so
0: forth I think this is uh probably one of the most controversial passages in the history of uh since it was written, since it happened. Um but let's let's look at it a, a little bit closer. We'll try to read it for the audience for those of you who are still on. You guys are troopers, but um anyway, so where is it? Matthew 19:23 is that it? Uh Matthew 19 starting in verse 16. Okay. So, I'm reading from the KJV ER the Easy Reader Edition. Um, I don't know if you've heard of that. There's, We could talk about it sometime. It's good. And uh, he, it says, And behold, one came and said to him, Good master, uh, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said to him, Why call you me good? For there's none good but one that is God. But if you will enter into life, keep the commandments. So right off the bat, I think that Jesus is drawing a, a distinction here um, that this guy has to make a reference to Jesus as deity, right? So there, he, he Jesus is making a reference that there's only one good, and there's none good, but uh, that is God. So if you're going to enter into life, keep the commandments. Okay, so we've got that. He says um, to him, which? And Jesus says, you shall do no murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love uh, your neighbor as yourself. So there's a few of the commandments that are listed, not all of them. He says, "Okay, so what are the commandments?" And he goes on and he says, "Well, all these I've kept from my youth up. What lack I yet?" And Jesus said to him, "If you will, perf- uh, if you will be perfect, go and sell all that you have." So you've got a progressive a progression here. It starts with identifying Jesus as God, right? So don't call me good unless there's you know there's only one that's good. It's God. And Then keep the commandments. Well, he says, "I've done that." I believe you're God. I've done that. Okay. Well, now what do I got to do? So he says, uh, "Well, if you be perfect, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me." Now, I'm sure that you know this, but this verse is a verse that is used to teach that Jesus Christ was a socialist, a communist, even that that he's a a, a share the wealth kind of guy, and uh, it's used for political purposes. Surely, and I would ask you this at the end, um, you wouldn't say that. I don't think that God is building a kingdom around socialism and communism. I don't think that that's what the kingdom is going to look like. Um, And I would ask you if that's what you think it is. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So I don't think there's any doubt in my mind that this guy is looking for some sort of effort that he can put into... um, finding the answer to this question of eternal life that he asked Jesus. So Jesus is absolutely 100% getting to the heart of the issue. He says, okay, keep the commandments. He says, I kept them. He says, okay, go and sell all the... Uh, what does he say? He says, well, what are the commandments? Here here they are. Well, I've done that. Okay, so there's something that I can actually um, build towards the kingdom. And he narrows it down. Well, what's really going to get this young ruler to get rid of... Uh, to what's really the heart of the issue with this rich young ruler? He says, well, you got to sell all that you have. And it doesn't say that the man was sorrowful because he couldn't do it. It says he was sorrowful because he had great possessions. So I think that there's no doubt in my mind that, yeah, um, uh, Jesus was really getting at the heart of the issue, which was the heart of the man. And he even goes on to say, "Verily, I say to you that rich men shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven, And again, see, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Um, And then these guys go on. They say, with men it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. So he's making a a differentiation between the physical and the spiritual, and it comes down to the heart issue. Um, But yeah, I would ask you that. Do you think that Jesus is preaching a a socialism, communism um, type of gospel that the kingdom is going to look like?
2: I think he absolutely is preaching exactly what he's saying here, that this young man um, had to do exactly what he said to do. Um, I believe Jesus could use words and and phrases uh, better than anybody in history. And he's point blank asked the question, if you keep reading, he talks about in, uh, in verse 27, then answered Peter and said unto him, behold, we have forsaken all. And follow thee. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto them, "That's the, that's the apostles. Verily I say unto you that which uh, that ye which have uh, followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And every one that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands." For my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold, and notice this, and shall inherit everlasting life. So again, you find this is exactly what they're doing in early Acts. So my question would be, why didn't Jesus tell him to believe on my death, burial, and resurrection? I know uh, the explanation is he knew his heart, but you don't read that in the text.
0: Well, It it is
2: true that he had to get to the point to realize that he's the Messiah if he realizes he's the messiah guess what the messiah is going to bring in he's going to bring in the kingdom and uh the poor and the meek are going to inherit the earth and he's going to supernaturally provide through the tribulation because as we fast forward maybe this is a discussion for another uh time but you can read uh in revelation who are the only people that are buying and selling anything
0: yeah, that is uh, that's a great question, man. And for those of you who are listening, um, you're going to be mad at me, but we're going to leave it there and uh, kind of make it a cliffhanger. Why don't we, if we if we do this again, you can decide if you want to or not. I'll leave it 100% up to you. Uh, but I think that would be a good place to pick up, um, you know, Matthew 19, the end of that. What does that mean and how is it relevant to us and, and the gospel? So, um, anyways, um, Pastor Drew Elrod um Thank you again for coming on, man. I hey, enjoyed it, Josh. Love to do it again. Sounds good. I'm gonna cut to my closing scene, and uh, we'll go from there, guys. So, all right. So, hey, that was a great discussion, man. I had a, I had a blast. This is this is what I look forward to. We've got some things that are coming up here um, uh, in the next few weeks that I think uh, is 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 gonna be fun as well. We have talked to uh, Randy White. Randy White's going to come on and uh, we're going to talk about dispensationalism, uh, maybe a little Calvinism, maybe a little bit of some of the things that we've talked about tonight. Um, But yeah, man, so one thing that I wanted to tell you guys is I'm having some issues for whatever reason with the artwork submitted through Apple Podcasts. I don't know what the deal is, but I'm trying to work that out. If you... If you're not gonna find me on Apple right now, uh, we're on nine different platforms that are going all over the place. Uh, so what I've done in the meantime, we're on Stitcher. Uh, until I get Apple figured out, then we'll be on Apple and Stitcher um, and everything else, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Twitch, What it, you know, what you name it, you, it, we're gonna be on it. But anyways, um, we've got Pastor Randy White. I'm gonna be talking with uh, Timothy Morton, uh, designer of uh, Bible Analyzer Software. And uh, I think that'll be a good conversation as well. King James Bible um, conversations uh, regarding some textual criticism um, questions as well. And uh, then we're going to get, there's just a lot of fun stuff. We're going to talk about the gap theory. Um, I think that'll be, that's a good conversation. Um, And we'll go from there. But guys, thanks for hanging out with us. We'll catch you next time.